Hey there, I'm Joanne Tambrakis, and this is Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. Unfiltered conversations, or as I like to say, opinions shaken, not stirred, on what's changing and what's not in business and in life as we enter into the next normal. So pour yourself your beverage of choice, and let's get to it. I am not even sure where to start introducing today's guest, as he has such an impressive CV. And as you will see when we get into the conversation, he is what I would call a renaissance man. He is a global business and marketing leader with over three decades of experience in consumer products, leading brand and business strategy for companies that include L'Oreal, Reckitt, and Colgate Palmolive, where he held positions including Worldwide Director of Global Home Care and Corporate Fragrance Leader. He is currently an independent business advisor for startups, and he is also the president of the French American Chamber of Commerce. Oh, and and in between all of that, he's also one of my NYU colleagues. So welcome to the podcast, Marc Somnalet. I hope I said that correctly. Thank, thank you, Joanne. I'm very impressed, by the way, by the French pronunciation, both of my last name and of L'Oreal. Well, you know, I actually, um, they started teaching me French, I think, when I was in the sixth grade, or was it the fourth grade, something crazy. I can't speak it very well, but I, I read Le Petit Prince in, French, in French when I was a kid. That's how they taught us then. They didn't teach us how to speak back then. That's how old I am. Um, <laughs> but I'm sure people must get tired of me saying my guest is an NYU colleague, but, you know, we have such an impressive faculty, and I'm always interested in learning more about my colleagues as I'm sure my listeners are. So so I always like to start with this question. Where are you from? So um, originally born in France, um, I have uh, been in the United States for 52 years now. Um, and I am equally from France and from the U.S. Um, I, uh, you know, I have both nationalities that almost doesn't matter, uh, but it's where the heart is and the head. Uh, and, uh, and I am completely on the fence uh, between the two, or perhaps I am the fence that brings the two uh, together. Uh, so I, I, I am from both uh, to add a degree of complexity. Uh, my wife is from Mexico. Um, we met in Mexico. Our language together is Spanish. Uh, and, and I have, uh, through my professional career, spent an enormous amount of time uh, working through Latin America, Mexico in particular. So uh, even though I am not technically Mexican, uh, I do have, uh, let's say, a uh, certainly uh, an accent of Mexico uh, that comes through as well. Wow. So you speak three different languages. Well, you know, I mean, having languages is a little bit like having a driver's license. It just kind of helps you get around, right? Um, but uh, yes, I, I do speak uh, all three. Uh, and, and and these are languages that cover, you know, a pretty good geography in the world. Um, I, I do miss out uh, on uh, on Asian languages. I wish I knew at least one. I don't. Uh, that That is a gap. Yeah, I think the hardest thing with Asian languages, having been of Greek descent, as my cousin said, learning that is learning a whole new alphabet. So it makes it a little bit more challenging than um, the Romance languages, as we like to call French and Spanish. (laughs) In in, in terms of, you know, so 
Uh, so where am I from? I, I, I told you, but I also happen to have been based around the New York area for, you know, basically since I've arrived in, in the U.S. Uh, I did leave again because I, I spent some time living in, in Mexico. I spent some time. I went back to France at one point. Uh, I lived in Pennsylvania, you know, so I, I've, I've been around. But I, I had actually a home base uh, in Westfield, New Jersey for 50 years uh, and just sold uh, our home uh, and uh, that was in the family for 50 years. So that was a tough thing in 2021, um, but uh, very excited right now to live uh, on the Hudson River uh, across from New York City. Uh, so the poor people from New York City have to look at us, but we get to watch New York City and that's really cool. Well, you know, it's so funny that you said that. I didn't realize that you were you're probably closer to me than I think. Um, I spent so many years in Manhattan because I, I wasn't born and raised in New Yorker, but I did live in other places. And right before the pandemic, I moved to Jersey City. To, oh, okay. uh, We're neighbors. I'm uh, in West New York. Yes, Paul is hooked. So it's like the views that I get from here, I, I never had when I was in the city. It's a, That's what the irony of the whole thing is. It's just the views are just magnificent. Kind of, kind of wild. So, how did you get into consumer products? Wow. Um, so, my my father spent uh, about forty years uh, in a consumer products company, uh, and even though he was a finance uh, executive, um, the conversation at the dinner table was always about you know revolving around brands, revolving around what companies uh, like his uh, did. And so I had that introduction since I was uh, a young child. Uh, and, uh, and so that's always something that, that interested me. And, and so coming out uh, of, uh, you know, of high school uh, and, and my bachelor's program, I actually thought at the time because of my international background that I wanted to be a diplomat. Uh, and I, you know, and, and I, you know, that's not something that you just kind of, launch yourself into very easily. And so I decided the next best thing, let me work for some lawyers uh, that are international lawyers and see how, and, and I, I quickly saw that, yeah, interesting, you know, intellectually stimulating, uh, and, uh, and also incredibly frustrating to work on stuff where you don't make any decisions. You're trying to help other people think, uh, and, uh, and that just wasn't me. And I kept coming back to this notion of consumer products. Uh, and of course, in the US, uh, back then when I started, uh, if you wanted to work in a marketing uh, team in a CPG company, you had to have an MBA. Uh, and so I didn't have one yet. Uh, and so I did the next best thing. I went into sales uh, for CPG companies. Uh, and, uh, and so I, I did that for a while. And I will tell you that, that I despised being a salesman. It's just not me. Um, and it's actually interesting because you and I both know that the world of marketing is all about selling. It's all about selling your ideas. And uh, and so that part, I enjoyed. That part I got. Uh, but but the idea of dealing day in and day out with, with selling products that had been created by somebody else and with messages that had been created by, again, somebody else kind of reminded me of why I didn't like law or the idea of diplomacy is always carrying somebody else's message. Uh, and I said, no, I want to be in the seat of the people doing the creation. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, I have to admit, I, I loved 
the uh, experience I got uh, as a salesman, I would I wouldn't change it for the world. I have absolutely zero regrets, but I also despised it and I was very happy to leave sales and go into marketing. Uh, and my first marketing job was uh, in Mexico, uh, working for L'Oreal, uh, and uh, and immediately or almost immediately within the first three or four months, uh, I was put on a new product development uh, mission. Uh, to launch a product in, in Mexico. And I had a blast. This was, I discovered me uh, and, and I enjoyed it so much. Uh, and um, But uh, eventually uh, decided I should go back. I wanted to go back to the US. Uh, and of course I needed uh, my, my master's. And so I came back to New York, did my master's program uh, at, at Columbia. Uh, I'm sorry to say for my NYU students, um, but uh, I, I did my MBA. And, and early on, I decided, let me get a broad background. Again, the notion of maybe it's not just about marketing, maybe there's more out there. And so I did, you know, finance, accounting, operations, research, you know, you name it. Uh, and of course, I took my first foundational class in marketing. And I'm like, ooh, this, this is me. Like, stop running away. This is it. Uh, and uh, and so I, I never turned back. Uh, and, you know, from there, I've embarked on basically, you know, another 30 years of, uh, of uh, you know, working in, in marketing, eventually into global marketing, uh, and, uh, and and uh, never turned back until I retired uh, four years ago. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's you know, listening to your story, it's like, I, this is, these are the stories I hear all the time. And, and as both of us do, we also, in, we're also in front of a lot of students. And I think, you know, when you're younger, you have this idea in your head that there's this very linear path that you're going to go along and how you're going to get to what's really right for you. And, and it's just it's just not like that. It's just not like that at all. But it's interesting about the selling point, because I spent my career selling. I was on the sales end of all of this and um, and I loved it until I didn't like it. But that's the whole that's probably what I what, what I was selling. But I always I think it was Warren Buffett who said that he thinks that everyone should have at least one year of sales experience because it really helps you so much in everything you do. And certainly in marketing, because marketing, it, it is selling and selling is persuasion, but it's um, the day-to-day -day grind is definitely not. Oh, Look, I, I will always remember the first day of kind of our training program uh, in my company in sales. I, I worked for a company that most people haven't even heard of anymore called American Greetings uh, Corporation that was a you know competitor to Hallmark. Uh, and, uh, and the first day, uh, the person training us in sales said, you know, your job starts when the client says no. Uh, and and I always remembered that, and and it was it was to the point where you almost want somebody to tell you no because otherwise it's too easy. Uh, and 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 by the way, if they say yes or if they simply don't say anything, that doesn't actually mean they've agreed. Uh, and and so at least when they say no, you know, you you've, now you've got a stake in the ground and you've got something to work, uh, you know, for or against whatever it is. Uh, and 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 so that's something I held throughout my entire career uh, that I brought into the world of marketing. Um, so. It's so true, though. I say that all the time. I always tell people you're better off asking, even if you get a no is so much better than maybe. Because maybe you just yes. know where you are. You, at least with no, you can say, okay, why? And let me go from there and let me figure, let me figure this out. Let me figure out how I can convince you to, to yeah. do it. 
And 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 so you know, you, but you also ask, so why why consumer products? I mean, you can do all kinds of marketing, right? Uh, and and to me, so first, this notion of being able to sort of do everything in the world of marketing, which is the advantage of the CPG world, is that it really does get you into every aspect of marketing. But also, to me, the notion um, of product management was all about running my own show. Uh, and, uh, and that's what appealed to me in the world of CPG marketing, which is, you know, whatever brand uh, or eventually business or your collection of businesses uh, as, as you grow uh, that, that you manage, you know, you, you are leading that brand. You are uh, the general manager, CEO, call whatever you want, uh, but the chief uh, of, of that brand. And I thought that was, that was really cool. That's what I wanted to do uh, and, and be involved in, in every single aspect. Uh, and, and one step further, with, which is dealing with consumers, uh, is is just fun because it's it's all about trying to think about what goes on in the mind of a consumer. I mean, most of us don't know what goes on in our own minds, let alone somebody <laughs> else's. Uh, and so, I, to, to me, that was just fascinating to try to figure out well, why why do they do what they do and how do they make these decisions. Uh, you know, one of the best professors that I ever had was uh, a professor in consumer behavior, uh, and uh, and and he had been a trained um, uh, psychologist uh, and uh, uh, and he was actually very young when he was uh, teaching my class I think it was probably his first year teaching at Columbia Business School uh, and, uh, and 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 he was fascinating to me uh, and and opened this whole perspective you know I again I had played around in marketing already because I'd been in Mexico and done my thing uh, and and you know you you have some intuition about what's going on uh, but to put some real framework around it was was really really interesting and, and to try to understand that consumer and and then my entire career became about well how do I get a link with that person how do I make myself indispensable um, and more than indispensable something that you know they derive some some level of satisfaction you know whether it's from using a toothpaste or whatever it is but but uh, but that that's really really important. I guess I should ask you if you're the one who's responsible for the 14 different kinds of Colgate toothpaste that I have to decide between now when I go to CVS. And I'm like, I, I think I might be getting old now that there's too much choice for me. But I, I am actually in a general space. I do think that sometimes we do have too much choice as consumers. Well, you know, it's, and, and that's actually interesting because you're right. So so consumers are faced with all these choices. How do they make their decision? And, and you know, a lot of people from outside of the world of marketing don't really understand sort of the challenge. And so the way I usually explain it to the non-initiated uh, is think about it this way, you know, and I'll ask you, Joanne, you know, I'm assuming you brushed your teeth this morning. Uh, I, I think I brushed it three times already. <laughs> so, so, so how long did you brush your teeth the first time? Do you remember? Well, I, I'm, I, 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 I would say a good minute to two minutes. I mean, I, I'm a. Okay. I'm a sure. so on top of that, you're, you're, you're honest, which is good because you know most people when I ask will say, oh, well, of course, two minutes. Yeah, they are sure you did, uh, and, uh, and and you know, so yeah, that's great. But so then you think about it, and so a person who is you know caring about their oral hygiene and brushes their teeth twice a day. So now you're dealing in max four minutes, probably less. Maybe they've even gone and brushed their teeth after lunch. And so now, okay, your your range has gone from zero to six minutes okay, uh, out of a 24-hour period. So the amount of time 
that that consumer is uh, is coming into contact with your brand is an infinitesimally small portion of their day. And what leads you to think that during that zero to six minutes that they even care what brand they're using, that they realize <laughs> it, that they're conscious of it, that they even looked at the tube that they're you know pouring, you know, there, there's a very small chance. And so that's the whole challenge that we have as marketers is how do we make ourselves relevant to somebody? And in, you know, even if it's in the subconscious mind, um, given the, such a little amount of interaction that we have. And so, you know, if, if all you do is delve in the world of kind of the functional and this is what I do, nobody will ever know who you are, remember you or have any even sublevel consciousness of, of what you are. And so that's the trick. Uh, and that's what makes our job in marketing so cool, uh, which is how do you create that link? And, and, and so I am so thrilled that I got a chance uh, to spend my career in marketing and doing that. Uh, it is something that every day I would wake up and passionate uh, about what I was going to do. Uh, and today to get to talk about this now with my students, uh, so it's a, it's a different way uh, at it, uh, is, is, you know, just keeps me uh, in a game that I, that I feel is, you know, such passion for. So. so this kind of brings me to my next question was about how much the business has changed, but I just want to start with, with one that you were talking about, because again, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm clearly not a millennial and I'm certainly not a Gen Zer. Colgate, and I'm not saying this because you work for Colgate, it happens to be the toothpaste that I like the best. And I make sure that even when I when I try and figure out which version of Colgate I'm getting anymore. But I know that you know brand loyalty is something that is much, much harder to achieve anymore, especially with these younger generations. How, how do you see that? Or is that what do you think? Uh, it, 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 it's it... I don't know that it's ever been easy, uh, but to your point, it, it just gets harder either because the amount of options has grown. Um, and it's not just about more brands. It's within the brands. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's been so much line extension activity, lots of which has probably done nothing in terms of real growth uh, for the companies doing it. But, you know, it, but it's a fact of life. And so today, you know, Colgate in the U.S., uh, and I don't even remember anymore. I haven't thought about this in a while, but uh, has probably you know four major sub brands, uh, maybe more. And 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 so as a consumer, you're not just making a decision about it's Colgate versus Crest uh, versus Arm and Hammer or whatever or so Sensodyne, but on top of that, it's you know do I want Optic White uh, or do I want Total uh, or do I want you know whatever. And so so now you're dealing and and then within each of those, you've got a plethora of of options. And so it has gotten harder. Uh, and so it, it comes back. And, and this is actually, to me, what's been really interesting from a marketing perspective over the last decade is a refocus by companies, and Colgate was not alone in doing this by any stretch, uh, in, in thinking about brand purpose and thinking about what is the brand belief uh, and, and how do you 
talk to a consumer in a way that gets them engaged with the brand. Uh, you know, Colgate came up uh, with a brand belief uh, a few years back that said the world deserves, um, you know, things to uh, to smile about. Essentially, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Uh, and and you know, you think about that. Colgate came from a long history of it's all about therapeutic. Uh, I'm going to do you know, stuff that's healthy for your mouth, etc. Oh uh, yeah, okay, that's all great, but gone you know you sort of assume that crest does that too and sensodyne does that too and uh, and and so well what else do you do for me uh and you know giving the reason you know the world reasons to smile uh is you know takes you into a whole other uh dimension mm-hmm. uh and 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 so yes fundamentally you start with a healthy mouth uh, but that's not all you know now you're trying to get get yourself involved in, can you help the consumers have, uh, let's say, a, a, pers- uh, a perspective on life that uh, that will give them reasons to smile? And so now all of a sudden you take that, you know, uh, uh, into an exponentially different uh, uh, arena. Uh, and so th- that's that's what's cool. And I, I have to admit, I if you ask me today, what is the brand purpose of Crest? I don't have the foggiest idea, uh, you know, and, and, and which is interesting because Proctor has done an incredible job also over the last decade in pushing sort of brand purpose, et cetera. I have to admit, I have maybe I've been too far removed now for the last four years, but I don't actually know what Crest um, uh, stands for. Uh, and, uh, and maybe because I'm not a crest consumer, maybe if I was, I, I you know, I, I'd have a better sense. Um, you know, sensodyne, same thing. You know, sensodyne, if you've got sensitive teeth, that's the thing to take, right? Theoretically. Um, and, but that, again, is there a brand belief beyond that? You know, is that, is that all you do for me, sensodyne? Um, you know, and, and so getting that, that connection, that emotional connection is, uh, is critical. Um, and, and we have all kinds of tricks. Uh, so uh, you, you and I uh, chatted once a little bit about fragrance. Um, fragrance is the greatest trick we have. Um, fragrance is something that is kind of the unknown, you know, fighter uh, for, uh, let's say, brand recognition, brand engagement, uh, and, and getting right to the emotional uh, area of the brain. Uh, and it's most of it is subconscious uh nobody really knows and i think we talked about this but i don't think a lot of people realize how much fragrance plays a part in consumer products you know we think of you hear the word fragrance and if you're not in that in that arena like oh you're fragrance that's that's what i'm going to spray my cologne so to speak or my perfume it's not um, i don't you know we don't necessarily think about that in terms of consumer products so i don't think a lot of people even realize how much of a role that's played but you're right it does because scents bring back you you smell something and it can take you back someplace kind of the way a song can you know you hear a certain song on the radio well not on the radio anymore on spotify now and it's like oh wow like all of a sudden you know you're back someplace else that you were and it gives you that that emotional connection in there so, so how else have you seen the, I mean, the business has changed so much and certainly this pandemic has changed so much of it. What, what do you think about this? What, how do you, what do you, big changes do you see? 
Well, um, it's uh, and you say you say pandemic. I mean, I you know, especially uh, sitting here in the U.S. I mean, over the last two years, we lived through all these overlapping crises, uh, and so it goes you know even way beyond the pandemic, and, and and it's still such a polarized world in all sorts of dimensions. And so, it, it what it's what it's ended up doing is sort of forcing people to rethink a lot uh, about. A, what do they really um, uh, stand for? What do they want? What do they accept? Um, what do uh, you know? Who do they listen to? Who do they trust? Uh, and uh, and and so, you know, we we've talked a lot in the world of marketing about you know authenticity and all this stuff, and it, it's done usually a bit of a vacuum and kind of the the theory of you know uh, being transparent and good and authentic and all that stuff. But but now all of a sudden it's like consumers are there and it's not like they're asking this but if you want them to be engaged in your brand how are you helping them do that uh, or or at least are you not an obstacle at the very minimum right uh, and and so it's forcing us from a marketing perspective to uh, you know, if before we were trying to figure out how do you get that emotional connection and how do you sort of um, uh, not reposition but yourself, but understand what your position is really about and, and, and therefore can you define your brand belief, your brand purpose. Uh, and, and if you can do all that, great. But now you have to take it one step further, which is, you know, people sort of expect uh, a certain level of activism. And maybe that's too strong a word because because you don't necessarily want you know any brand to go talk about anything out there because that's ridiculous and it's not it's not credible necessarily. Um, Unless you're Patagonia, yeah, or or if you're Ben and Jerry's and you've been on the kick for a while about something, sure. Uh, but if you haven't been, and all of a sudden you get yourself immersed in it. You know, I mean, you and I both lived through the uh, the Starbucks, uh, you know, race together stuff. Uh, it's like, so you're starting out something from scratch uh, at a time that's fraught with, you know, difficult conversations all over. Uh, and, and are you credible? And then should you even be speaking about this? Uh, and. You know, and so, you know, anybody from the outside, well, of course, you know, Starbucks, I mean, you think about the millions of people every day that engage in, with Starbucks. It's like, yeah. So you engage with your glass of water several times a day. You expect your water to be making a comment about, you know, so, it, it, <laughs> you know, so, so activism is, is on, on, on many different levels, but, but purely from a brand marketing perspective, um, one has to really think twice before you know and i'm not saying you shouldn't delve into stuff but you have to think about what is most relevant and what can you talk about from a from a point of credibility um now there's a different aspect which is so those of us who work in marketing uh, and we all have opinions and we all have, you know, our, our, our point of view on what's happening and what's going on around us and all that. We have our own values. Uh, and I remember when I first started working in marketing, you know, I was basically uh, wasn't told, but it was expected. You know, you keep your thoughts and your values inside your head. We are not interested. You're here to do a job. Do your job. Uh, and, you know, and, and, and then you were like, but I want to say something. Right. Uh, and, and, but you couldn't, and, and, and if you wanted to keep your job, you know, you just didn't do that. Right. Today, today it is expected that somebody who's coming in, especially if they're a young millennial or Gen Z, they are not 
going to keep their thought in their pocket uh, and uh, and they are going to speak. They will say something. If nothing else, they'll speak with their feet, which means that uh, if, if, if the environment and the values around them don't work for them, they're gone. Uh, and, and so so that level of activism and is now a, a reality amongst all of us. And so clearly COVID, which accelerated just about every possible trend in the world, uh, you know, accelerated this, which is we are all activists in one form or another based on our values and our beliefs. Uh, and, and, and now we're allowed to, to talk about it. By the way, there's a lot of divergence out there. Uh, I had a really interesting lunch the other day with the CEO of a major French bank. Uh, and, and I asked, uh, because we were talking about their experience through COVID. And, and, uh, and so, and, and he took a bit of a contra uh, and, and they never closed throughout, you know, they're based in, uh, in New York City. They never closed, but they sort of allowed people to do their own thing. And, and they were very careful about, they, they, they never furloughed anyone. They didn't fire anybody. Uh, the people that were handling stuff like the maintenance and the security and all, they actually gave them bonuses from the first few months, uh, thanking them for being there. And I mean, they, they did some pretty amazing things. But I, so, and, I, and I asked her one more, so what do you think of this notion of activism and, you know, do the people coming into your bank, he says, zero, none. We don't want it. We don't want to hear about it. It's not us. We have a business to run. We have things to do. And that stuff just gets in the way. Wow. And, and he said that, but at the same time, guess what? One of the major areas of focus for that bank in terms of investment right now is around green businesses. I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. So, you know, you, you claim, but yet the way you treated your people through COVID clearly showed a, um, you know, something about caring and and, uh, and, and an aspect. And then, by the way, it was also about the whole sort of ecosystem uh, around the bank, you know, the, the restaurants, the, the delis, the, the, the whatever. Uh, and, and, and so he was very keen on making sure that the, the, the employee base of the bank was actually helping this, you know, microcosm of the economy around them. Uh, and at the same time, he's into green and sustainability and all that. And then as I kept prodding, we started talking about, and I was fascinated by that because the, the, the initial reaction, and by the way, you know, he's, he's about my age roughly. And, and the initial reaction was, oh, no, no, zero. We don't, we don't, we don't talk about stuff that's not, you know, related yet. So, okay. But then, but then again, if he's not investing in green businesses, he's not going to get the people that this the younger generations. That's what they. That's what they're money. And I, you know, I, I applaud them. I applaud them for being able to speak up because it, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. You kept your mouth shut and your head down and your thoughts to yourself when you were in the office and representing the company. It was just that was just the, just the way just the way that it was, and you didn't think twice about it. But things have changed. They have definitely changed. Um, so you left, we, I think you and I could probably, this podcast could probably go on for two hours if, if I allow it. So <laughs> switch a little bit. Um, which in a good Ms. Carol, you got time to a marketer and we, we can talk. I yes. know, I, I know. And I'm fascinated by everything you're saying. So you left Colgate in 2017, if I'm not mistaken, you went out on your own. So can you talk a little bit about the switch now to doing advisory work? You work with a lot of startups and, and what that's been like for you. 
Yeah. So, so um, when I, when I left Colgate, you know, and I, I had spent 25 years at, at Colgate. Uh, so uh, of my, you know, 30 plus years in, in marketing, clearly that was where I spent the most amount of my time. Uh, an amazing company in terms of its globality, its diversity, uh, you know, talk about uh, diversity in terms of ethnicities, languages, nationalities, cultural background. It's just a really cool, uh, you know, dynamic place. Before that was trending, before that was trending, <laughs> that was trending. Uh, and and so I have to admit, you know, leaving leaving was was hard. In that perspective, is twenty five years. You make a lot of great friends uh, and uh, you know close connections, and it was, as I said, a, a dynamic place to be. And so to me, it was okay. Now I've got some time for me. Uh, and I was always big in, in networking and I've always been, uh, uh, you know, uh, I've always participated quite a lot in sort of the French American community in, in, in New York. And, uh, but I didn't have a lot of time for, for much of that. Uh, and, and so the first thing to me, which was, you know, I had already sort of gotten a taste for teaching uh, because I had been invited by some friends uh, who were professors to be a guest speaker here and there and to do some judging. Uh, and I just loved that interaction with the students. I thought it was just the, the, the coolest thing. And, and in my mind, I was like, Ooh, what a cool way to be able to use the experience that I've built over the years. Uh, and, and, you know, to, to basically use that to, teach people and to help them develop and move towards uh, their career goals and their career aspirations. And so I thought that was a really cool thing. And at the same time, as I was getting myself immersed at NYU uh, to, to do that, um, all of a sudden I started getting, you know, calls from some ex-colleagues, et cetera. Oh, I'm building a business in this. Uh, I'd, I'd love it if, you know, do you have any time? Can we talk? Uh, and, uh, and so I did. Uh, and I'm a sucker for this stuff. So, yeah, um, you know, it's not like I was getting paid for any of it, you know, but it's come on in. And, and so little by little, uh, you know, one, one sort of leads you to, uh, to another. Uh, and I discovered, uh, uh, again, something that, you know, um, uh, you know, really kind of um, uh, enticed me in that founders are really funny people. Uh, <laughs> they are incredibly passionate, of course, about what it is that they're doing, what they're creating. And then so, you know, they're, they're, they're in that sense, they're like the creatives, you know, um, uh, which, which I dealt so much with uh, in terms of design and, and things like that throughout my career. But, but now, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're dealing with people that are incredibly passionate and sometimes they have some terrific business acumen and ideas of how they want to do things. And sometimes there's some stuff that they're just not sure about. Um, uh, sometimes they're not sure about anything and they just, you know, they're looking for some help in setting strategy, figuring out where to go, how to go about what do you do first. And, uh, and sometimes it's just, they want to be able to sound off their ideas mm -hmm. uh, on somebody they know and they trust because they know that the person has been around and has experience. Uh, and, and so, I've had the occasion to deal with sort of all of these different kinds of, of people. And, uh, and the cool thing about, you know, a founder in a startup is when, when they engage with you and you, they ask you a question, they actually listen. It's crazy. <laughs> you know, when, when you're part of a 36,000 employee organization, sometimes you feel like you're, you know, basically speaking into the wind, so to speak. Uh, and and, uh, and so I, I have to admit, that was kind of, so I have students that were listening to me, <laughs> founders that were listening to me. I was like, well, this is, this is cool. So 
So this is this is essentially in both cases. I'm using the experience that I built up uh, over decades uh, in, in in my marketing career uh, to help. Uh, on the one hand, you know, young students, and on the other hand, uh, founders. Uh, and and I love that. Yeah, well, and and you're still passionate about it. You know, you still you still find the joy in it, and that's. Um, I don't know. I think that's a combination of a lot of factors, but I think it's also intrinsically in the person, you know, staying, staying curious, which I think if, I guess I'm making an assumption here, but if certainly for myself, one of the things I love about teaching is I am a curious person and it keeps me staying curious because I don't know if I would, I think I know more about some of the stuff that's going on in marketing than people who are doing it on a day-to-day basis because I have to. <laughs> You know, they know it. All right, I'm being challenged all the time. These young students will, will call me on stuff if I'm not sure about it. So, um, but you well, said- it, it, it's, it's actually interesting because, I, as you know, I teach a, a capstone uh, course uh, in, in business plans, uh, and of course, that exposes me to all kinds of you know. Great ideas, not so great ideas, uh, but certainly very diverse ideas. Uh, and and the, the the interesting thing is, it's actually expanded my uh, perspective on on businesses. And and so when I think about uh, uh, advising startups, uh, that actually has been incredibly helpful because now all of a sudden it's it's getting me involved beyond what would have been my normal sort of comfort zone uh, in the world of, you know, CPG, regardless of the size, you know, uh, and, and, and so that's really cool. Uh, and and so those the, the what I what I'm doing from an academic perspective as well as what I'm doing from a, an, an advisory perspective uh, actually feed off of each other to a certain extent. Well, I think that I think that happens for a lot of people when they go out on their own. And you're also now president of the French American Chamber of Commerce. Everyone's fast. That's one of the places that I need to go back to as soon as I can get overseas to Paris. So <laughs> how did, I know you've already talked about how your, your connection to French, but how did that happen to, to France? And obviously um, being half French. So, <laughs> so I, I could go back a long time and then and, and just really quickly on that. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my parents were both expats uh, in the U.S. Uh, from, from France. Uh, and both of them uh, were incredibly active in the French-American community, uh, whether it was uh, from a business perspective, uh, mostly for my dad, also in the academic world. Uh, for him, uh, he was also a, um, a trade advisor uh, for France. Uh, so a lot of, and also a military side. I mean, there's all kinds of, uh, and and my, my mother also uh, incredibly active, created uh, an organization uh, called Accueil New York, which was, you know, welcoming uh, French people arriving to, to live for the first time uh, in the New York area, uh, a charity organization for, for children uh, that she uh, uh, was president of for, for a number of years. So, um, so I've always had that sort of in my background. Um, and, and, you know, I, I went to a lot of the conferences, events, uh, I met a lot of people. So I've always sort of had that opening. Uh, and as I mentioned, you know, in our in the beginning of our conversation, I, I am completely French and American. So to me, I, I sort of personally embody a lot of what these different organizations, whether they're professional or academic or uh, diplomatic or military or cultural, whatever they are, I'm, I'm you know, uh, the, there are many of them, by the way. It's uh, So there's a very big French community uh, in New York. It's a thriving French community in all kinds of sectors. Uh, and then about 10 years ago, a little more than that, uh, I became a member of the chamber. 
the French American Chamber uh, via Colgate. So I, I was, uh, you know, Colgate was a corporate uh, member. Uh, and so I was one of the uh, representatives uh, for, for Colgate. Uh, and, and I actually loved it because to me, it, it brought together one aspect of sort of the French American community that I was very much uh, involved with, but at the same time, the professional aspect uh, and the opportunity uh, to get exposure, to meet people, to learn. Uh, I met, you know, amazing speakers, conference uh, speakers, et cetera, uh, over the years uh, and, and very quickly got more involved. I was on a nominating committee for the board of directors, et cetera. And, and this year, uh, the uh, the previous president, who's an amazing woman, um, uh, called uh, and said, you know, Mark, are you interested uh, in being more active uh, at the chamber? Uh, and uh, and so one thing sort of led to another. And she says, you know, I've done my time. I've been here for, for 10 years. I don't want somebody uh, to, uh, to, to, to take over this thing forever. You know, ideas become stale. Uh, I, there, there needs to be new blood. Uh, and, uh, so, um, they put my, uh, hat in a ring, uh, in, uh, for, for an election. I became a board member. They voted me in as, as president, uh, of the New York chapter. Uh, and, uh, just uh, two months ago, uh, I was elected now president of the, uh, the federation, of all of the French American chapters across the U.S. Um, and uh, so a very different world, um, but at the same time, one that I feel completely at home in. Uh, you know, I, I, I feel that I am of that world and that world is, is of me. Uh, and, and so it, it's, it feels so natural. Um, and at the same time, it's, it's got its challenges. Uh, you know, uh, a chamber of commerce, as you'd expect, is, is all about human connections. So when you can't get in person and you can't meet people, and as I, so that's a little hard, right? Uh, and uh, so, uh, so it's got its challenges. Uh, there is a full-time uh, team uh, that's an awesome team uh, at, at the chamber. Uh, it's about half what it was pre-pandemic. Um, so, so that's a huge challenge as well. Uh, but, I, I, I am thrilled. So it's a huge honor, uh, that I was given, uh, and, uh, and I'm, and I'm thrilled to, to be part of this, uh, French American community. It's, it's now led me to do all kinds of other activities in the French American community, uh, because these things, as you expect, sort of snowball. Well, two, th <laughs> two things are striking me for one is that all of this stuff kind of overlaps too, that you're doing. Um, there's, you know, there's, there's still an overlap. And, and the other thing is that earlier you had said um, when you retired from Colgate and really I would get rid of that word retire because you just left Colgate. What you were busier <laughs> than people I know who have one full time job. So um, and I, I don't I personally don't like the word retire. I think rewire, re redefine whatever it's next. Um, it's a center. That's just one of my my little pet peeves. Um, OK, so. Couple of more things here. Again, I could talk to you for forever, and I don't want to leave without touching on this. So I know martinis is in the title of this podcast, and um, I did forewarn you that we did not have to drink martinis during the recording because God knows what I would say. I've been drinking water, by the way. I just want you to know. <laughs> I also happen to love my wine, and um, I know you have what I would call a passion for wine. In fact, I believe you have several certificates in from the Wine and Spirit Education Trust and a wine newsletter. So can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, sure. So I, 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 I guess I wouldn't be really French 
I, I wouldn't be really French if I didn't enjoy wine. Um, <laughs> but, but perhaps I enjoy it more than uh, than the average. Uh, and, uh, and and maybe you know I, I'm not sure that that's a great thing uh, from a health perspective. But uh, but yes, I do uh, enjoy wine. I'm very passionate about wine. Uh, and and years ago, uh, I started for myself just writing uh, about the wines that I had uh, that I had tasted. Uh, and I love to taste all kinds of stuff. So of course, I forget what I had tasted. And so that's why I really started uh, to keep kind of tabulating the wines, what ratings I was giving them, et cetera. And of course, my friends who knew about my passion for wine would keep asking me, so what wines have you tried recently? Where, how do I get them, et cetera? And so I had my list already. Uh, and uh, and so, you know, one thing sort of led to another and all of a sudden, you know, I'm sending this thing to, to like 500 people or something. And uh, and, and then it just got to be too much, uh, just too much work. Uh, and for a while, I gave up and people would come to me, Mark, I'm saying, did, did, did we do something bad? You know, why why aren't you sending your newsletter? Uh, and uh, no, 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 no. I, just, I'm not, I, I don't die. And by the way, I, I kept, you know, I'm still tabulating every wine that I taste and I still put ratings on. Uh, and, and when I left uh, Colgate, um, another thing is, you know, what other passions can I pursue more? Uh, I would love to uh, to do some more work, for example, in, in the wine business. And the first thing you learn about wine, similar to the fragrance business, by the way, it's, uh, you know, people expect people to have been in that business for decades to even just talk to you. Uh, and, uh, and so I said, fine. How about if I go out and do a wine certification? Uh, and uh, and so WSCT or Wine and Spirits Education Trust is a British uh, organization, uh, and uh, it, it's a bit of a parallel organization to the Court of Master Sommelier, with the difference that you know if you do the Court of Master Sommelier, it's really to become a sommelier, and so that, that's a whole other uh, you know that's, that's another uh, you know um, um, uh, level of uh, of, of uh, professionalism that I'm definitely not there. Um, but WSCT offers that, so you can take it all the way through a diploma, which essentially means you become uh, sommelier, but you can do one step below, which is what I've done, uh, which is a professional certification in, in wine, which now all of a sudden opens doors. So when uh, when people are like, oh, you're a marketing executive, blah, 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 I love your background. Um, have you ever worked in wine? No. Um, and they said, oh, but you have a level three in WSCT. Oh, we can talk. Uh, and and so it's essentially, it started sort of that way. But boy, when I did level one, it's like, oh, this is cool, but it's a bit of amateur. And level two was like, oh, this is getting hard, but I love this. And and then my wife sort of prodded me along and said, you can't stop there. You got to do level three. Uh, and, uh, and so I got involved. Of course, that started right at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, and so that threw a whole monkey wrench in the, in the um, and so what should have been, you know, a five months process ended up being about a 12 months process, but, but, uh, it, it was fascinating. So I, I am very passionate about the world of, of, of wine. Every occasion I have, uh, when traveling, uh, to go to, you know, different wine regions, uh, is, is cool. Uh, my, uh, eldest daughter got married this past uh, summer. Uh, I took her and her new family, uh, uh, as well as our other daughter and my wife, uh, through the Champagne region of France. Uh, and you know, somebody has to do it. Uh, and <laughs> so, so, 
so this this is a big, big, uh, huge hobby for me. Um, love it. I'm very passionate about the the, the topic. Uh, I, I happened to meet with one of my um, co-students in, in the level three yesterday, uh, and, and we tasted uh, four different uh, wines uh, and, and really enjoyed talking about them and describing them. And uh, so, uh, and by the way, going back to something we said earlier, even within the world of wine, far ahead of your capacity to taste and what that tells you it's all about smelling uh so i come back to fragrance and and that is you know your your capacity um you know uh, intellectually and subconsciously uh to relate with things is so much better from an olfactive perspective than uh than on the palate uh, and it did so it's really cool really cool wow 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 so one more question, and then I'll do my little lightning round just to kind of go back to this pandemic because we've mentioned it so many times because it just has affected everyone. It's changed so much for everyone. What has it meant for you personally? Uh, I mean, uh, so first of all, last year in the summer of 2020 was the first time in 45 years that I had not gone to our home in Brittany on the coast of France uh, and gotten together with my family, my mom, et cetera. Um, my, uh, one of my, my last grandfather uh, passed away in the middle of the pandemic, uh, not, not from COVID, uh, but uh, we couldn't be there. So, so yeah, obviously a lot of tough, uh, we, we lost some friends. Uh, so it, it, you know, Similar to everybody else, you know, we, we've had our horror stories. Uh, my my youngest daughter works in a hospital setting, uh, so she had to deal with it and was deployed uh, working with the pandemic patients. So, you know, we, we, we've gone through kind of the, uh, the, the, the bad, the ugly and all that. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, it's allowed us to uh, come back and reconnect uh, with people that, we just didn't have time before to connect with uh, and, and actually see them. So as much as we all now despise Zoom, Zoom is really cool for some stuff, you know? And, and It got us through. It definitely got us through. I still would rather be in front of someone and hug them. Um, I think that was one of the things I missed the most was just like hugging people when you saw them. And yeah. But, um, but yeah. this work, it works in a pinch. It works. It definitely works. Look, if it wasn't for Zoom, I wouldn't be, how, I, you know, I, how could I? Do a podcast, yeah, uh, and and now now things are you know reopening a, a tad, uh, and so uh, so in fact uh, in three days uh, we leave uh, to spend uh, three weeks with my mom in uh, in Switzerland, uh, and uh, my my brothers and sisters uh, and their families will join us uh, there. So you know coming back to that is is really cool, and I have to say going back to in person classes. This semester was fantastic. Uh, I had one online and I had two that were in person. Uh, and as much as I enjoyed the online class, you know, it's not the same. Uh, and, 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 I, had the same I had the same combination. I, and yeah. as much as I did not like having to wear a mask, um, it was just, I felt so good to be able to, for whatever reason, I couldn't stand up in front of my computer to teach. I have to sit when I'm in a classroom. I don't know how to teach sitting down. I only know how to teach. Oh, same, 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 same um, for me. All over the walking around. <laughs> and uh, I have had several students who had me online and then had me in person. And I said, and they noticed the difference. They said, you know, you're, you're pretty energetic in front of the computer, but it's like, you know, all over, all over the place. So yes, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Okay. So I like to finish up with a quick little lightning round of fun stuff. Are you up for it? I hope so. 
your favorite <laughs> your favorite social network uh i i don't know if it's facebook or linkedin actually okay it's, it's sort of both there you go it's a tie something people would never guess about you um <laughs> well um i actually drink white wine now as well as other wines blows <laughs> people away because they always knew me as a red wine guy uh and my 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 world has grown so much in the last few years. The, the secret's out now the secret's out now um the last series that you binged uh, I'm still in the middle of uh, uh, the great. Uh, so Catherine, uh, I'm really, really having fun with that one. Uh, but also in the uh, the world of French series, um, uh, of course, Lupin was great. But I've actually really enjoyed Spiral. Ah, okay. A bit dark, uh, but it's it's a really cool uh, series. A food you can't live without uh, is wine. A food. <laughs> Probably not, but um, but we can take it's it. Made, it's made from fruit, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll go with it. It's your answer. Um, okay. What you miss most about pre-COVID life? What you miss most about uh, pre-COVID life? Just being able to. I mean, frankly, no mask. No. Yes, I miss that. Yeah, I, I do too. Um, what motivates you to get up in the morning? Gosh, uh, so many things. Uh, Right now, um, my my students, my founders, uh, but uh, probably the first uh, is uh, is being able to spend uh, a day with my wife and getting my daughters on the phone. Oh, wow. okay, all right. That's I'm getting. I can feel that. I can feel that one. Well, thank you so much. So, if if people want to follow you or find you, where would you suggest? Um... LinkedIn is the easiest uh, spot. Um, I will have, uh, that, have that in the in the show notes, and I'll put a um, a link to the um, the Chamber of Commerce too, in case there's anything there people want to know about. Well, for Chamber of Commerce, I encourage anybody who's got any any interest uh, in French American business, or for that matter, any business going on in New York City uh, and surroundings, get on the on the French American Chamber of Commerce New York website and sign up for the newsletter and see what's happening. Cool stuff. Mark, thank you so much. Thank you, Joanne. <laughs> this is terrific, this is fun. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note, info at joannetombrakis.com. And until next time, remember, whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there. Mm-hmm.